Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley, and this is the 512th show of ROI. Our noted guest for today's show is Dr. Chris Stringer, research leader in human origins at the British Natural History Museum, who is going to talk to us about the topic of why did modern humans take so long to settle in Europe? Joining us in the second segment of the show will be our history buffs, Ed Broders and Rick Sweet. To begin with, we'd like to welcome Dr. Chris to the show. Hello, Chris. How are you doing? Uh, Hi, I'm fine. Thank you. Speaking to you from Kent in England. Marvelous. Uh, We call the first segment of our show Fadruk Danarin, and our goal is to give our listeners a little background on today's subject. So, Chris, can you start us off with some of the basic information on the development and spread of early modern humans, uh, particularly in Europe? Yes. So, um, to start the story, we need to go back to probably 600,000 years ago. And that was when geneticists estimate that we had a common ancestor with the Neanderthals. Um, And they then evolved in Europe and Asia. We evolved in Africa. Uh, And that was true for most of the history. Um, But about 60,000 years ago, Homo sapiens, our species, began to emerge from Africa. And that emergence was in the end successful uh, and Homo sapiens ended up taking over the inhabited world and from about 40 to 60,000 years ago there was an overlap with the Neanderthals and then they went physically extinct so what's interesting is there were several if you like attempts by Homo sapiens to come into Europe but it wasn't until about 40,000 years ago that uh, Europe was finally solely occupied by our species Okay, uh, to take a slight step back, you talked about, of course, other species that humans were related to. And um, pretty much, if I may ask, what happened to those that were in Europe that enabled uh, Homo sapiens sapien to enter eventually 40,000 years ago? Yeah, so the um, if we look at the fossil record, so the Neanderthals were evolving in Europe from about 400,000 years ago down to the time they disappeared, about 40,000 years ago. Um, And what we know is that they were successful most of that time. There were climatic changes that increased their numbers at times and decreased their numbers. But overall, they survived through that time. There were good times and bad times. Um, And Homo sapiens, we know, uh, made a, a brief appearance in Europe Um, Over 200,000 years ago, there's a fossil from a site in Greece called Epidema Cave. It's only the back of the skull, but it looks like a Homo sapiens. And so we probably should explain that if we've got skulls, the skull of a Neanderthal looks quite different to the skull of a Homo sapiens. So our skulls are high and rounded in the brain case. We've got a small brow ridge, a small face, uh, a relatively small nose. We've got a chin on the lower jaw. So these are all things that we can use to recognize us. The Neanderthals, by comparison, had a longer, lower skull, a big brow ridge over the eyes, a face that was pulled forward with a very large nose, 
and not much of a chin on the lower jaw. So this fossil from Greece that's over 200,000 years old, from a pit of a cave, it's only the back of the skull, but it looks like our own species, Homo sapiens. And what's interesting is it's there, and 30,000 years later, there's a Neanderthal fossil in the site. So it looks like the Homo sapiens were replaced by the Neanderthals. So we could say that that was a failed dispersal, that Homo sapiens got as far as Greece, at least, over 200,000 years ago, and yet disappeared. And that's the same thing we find several times more. So if we fast forward to about 54,000 years ago in the Rhone Valley of France, we find uh, some fragmentary Homo sapiens fossils there. And they're accompanied by really interesting technology, and there was a publication in the last few weeks about it, where they actually seem to have had bows and arrows. And you would think, great, that's very advanced technology, well ahead of anything else that the Neanderthals had. Um, and yet those people also disappeared. Um, maybe the occupation was as short as, as 100 years. So the Homo sapiens there disappeared, and again, the Neanderthals come back. So that's something that needs explaining. And then we fast forward to about 45,000 years ago, and then we find more evidence of Homo sapiens. And this time, they're staying around, and within the next few thousand years, finally, they take over Europe, and the Neanderthals completely disappear. So, yeah, we've got several issues. Why is it that Homo sapiens couldn't replace the Neanderthals earlier? And why finally did they manage to replace the Neanderthals by 40,000 years? Okay, um, let's take a step back. Uh, it has been used uh, in an assaulting, derogatory manner, manner for a very long time where another person calls another person a Neanderthal. It makes them look, you know, inhumane. Basically unevolved, but uh, I read an article um, years ago that actually, you know, the Neanderthals were survivors. They actually lived a very long time, and obviously they didn't become as advanced as Homo sapiens, but um, they were more adroit at dealing with the situation that than that stereotype gives them. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the more we learn about the Neanderthals, the more we realize that they are similar to us in behavior. They had complex behavior. They pretty certainly must have had some kind of language. Um, and as you say, they survived for hundreds of thousands of years at, at times under very challenging conditions. So they were not they were not these brutish ape men that they've been made out to be. And uh, yeah, I think that um, calling sort of, uh, you know, politicians with, with <laughs> that good views in the for example, calling um, badly behaved football fans Neanderthals, which happens in Britain sometimes. That's an insult to the Neanderthals, I would say. And, yeah. and, and, as an Arsenal fan, I totally get what you're saying. Um, well, there you are. <laughs> right, right. Well, yes. yes. Um, so, so the Neanderthals were really like us, and that therefore heightens the interesting question of, you know, why eventually did we replace them? And that is one of the big questions that we have. Okay. Uh, we have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of the show. This is R.I. on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. In times of joy. In moments of grief. Broadcasters come through, even when all else fails. 
Today, with more ways than ever to experience the moments that transform our lives, Americans still choose broadcast radio and television more than all other media combined. We are the local broadcasters of radio and television, reaching more people, touching more lives. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley, and this is the second segment of the show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our noted guest for today's show is Dr. Chris Stringer, a research leader in human origins at the British Natural History Museum in Kent, England, and we're talking to him about the topic, why did modern humans take so long to settle in Europe? Our history buffs for today's show are Ed Broders and Rick Sweet. And Rick, why don't you start us off? Thanks, John. Chris, um, you mentioned that the Neanderthals were around. The evidence you have is 400,000 years, uh, and I... I suspect they were in Europe uh, from that 400,000 to 40,000 year interval. Uh, there were a couple ice ages that uh, uh, came down over uh, uh, from the north over England into Europe. Uh, did this push Neanderthals out and then they came back in or did they just sit in their ice huts and, and uh, enjoy the winter? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, they certainly were pushed back. When it got really cold, the Neanderthals gave up living in those areas. So in Britain, for example, um, as you mentioned, we had a succession of ice sheets about every 100,000 years. An ice sheet covered large parts of the British Isles, and south of that ice sheet there would have been tundra you know, and permafrost, really severe conditions. And in those situations the Neanderthals disappeared completely. So they couldn't survive that extreme cold. Um, and they would have pushed, they would have died out locally and they would have been pushed back to refugia. So in this situation, probably they would have been in the southern, south of France, they would have been in uh, Spain, Portugal, uh, maybe in the Italian peninsula, places like Greece. And they certainly survived over in Western Asia. We find their fossils in places like Israel and Syria uh, and Iraq. So, yes, but when it got really cold, yeah, they just gave up. Um, they were cold adapted to an extent because they were living under, on, on average, colder conditions than today, even in the regions where they survived. So they were capable of living in cold conditions, but when it got really cold, uh, yeah, they disappeared. So... I think this was part of their problem, that they didn't really have a, a stable environment. Uh, it kept fluctuating, and that, that really kept their numbers down overall, I think. Okay, Ed. Yeah, thanks, John. Um, Chris, you've mentioned that the Neanderthals disappeared, um, and that is apparently different than being replaced through interbreeding um, with Homo sapiens. Um, can you tell us... Um, how you know that? Yes, yeah, so yes, I mean, in the end, they physically, I said, physically disappeared. So yes, they physically disappeared forty thousand years ago, uh, 
Um, and we know they locally disappeared from places like Britain because we have their stone tools, of course, even if we don't have their fossils. So we can map their occupations in cave sites, for example, by the presence of characteristic stone tools. And we know that for long periods of time in Britain, those stone tools disappear completely. And we don't find animal bones with cut marks on and so on. So we know that they disappeared from places like Britain when it got really cold. Um, and as I say, they persisted in the south. But their disappearance about 40,000 years ago is, is a complete disappearance physically. Um, we don't see any more Neanderthal fossils. We don't find any stone tools uh, with their characteristic um, manufacturers. So what we find instead is the fossils of Homo sapiens, and distinctive stone tool industries associated with Homo sapiens. So there was this replacement, but of course what's interesting is we've learned in the last 10 years that it was not a complete replacement because there was interbreeding before they disappeared. Um, and that's why most of us today, um, outside of Africa, we have around 2% of Neanderthal DNA in our genome. And I've had my DNA tested and I've got I've got that 2% Neanderthal in me. So in a sense, they, you know, they're still with us. Some of their DNA is certainly still with us, but physically they're gone. Um, I have to say on behalf of my son, isn't there a higher ratio in Tottenham fans of Neanderthal? I just wanted to ask you that first. Yes, that's an interesting point. Yes, it will vary uh, uh, between the supporters of football teams, even within. Uh, there's, a, there's a variation of about 1% up and down. I, got you. Um, I don't necessarily think, I would say the West Ham fans have the lowest value probably, but that's, that's using the Anatoles as an insulting term. And we're trying not to do that. Well, there is evidence that uh, there's a higher percentage among um, American politicians. Yeah. <laughs> or certain... Um, you see, there you go. We've got to try and stop this. As I say, I some said of the Neanderthals yeah, it, in this situation. Maybe they lack the Neanderthal True. DNA. That's why True. they are what they are. Uh, a quick question backwards, though, um, and a little bit of an off-subject, of course. Uh, the world is dealing, especially the United States, with the avian flu of the H5N1, and there's huge questions with that. So the Neanderthals pretty much... As you say, they're gone. Um, if you were looking into your crystal ball, partially facts and partially guessing, um, what is it that took them out? Uh, is disease a likely factor that maybe uh, other um, branches of the what would be humans had evolved out of that had a better uh, system to deal with, or do they have any clue? Yeah, I mean, it, it, this is really one of the big questions, and of course. Uh, many different ideas have been put forward, and you mentioned some. So, yes, epidemics, uh, perhaps modern humans brought a new, a new kind of epidemic from Africa that the Neanderthals had no immunity to. But when we compare that situation 40,000 years ago with the recent occurrences, let's say the epidemics that, that uh, raged in South America after the, the Spanish came and brought diseases to the local populations, of course, those sorts of epidemics are epidemics where you've got quite large population numbers in urban centres, for example. So diseases can spread quite rapidly through the population. We're talking with Neanderthals and early Homo sapiens, quite low population densities. So it seems unlikely that a disease could spread through those populations in the same way and decimate them. Um, other people have suggested that it was climate change. We've mentioned the fluctuating climates. And indeed, they were particularly unstable. Between about 40,000 and 100,000 years ago, the climate flipped. 
every few thousand years from nearly as warm as today to bitterly cold. And so the Neanderthals were, I think, suffering attrition, you know, population numbers. They could never stabilise their population numbers. Um, and we know from DNA that some Neanderthals' populations, some groups were quite inbred. They have um, signs of interbreeding in their DNA of close relatives, um, even in some cases some build-up of um, pathological conditions that might be a sign of this inbreeding. And of course inbreeding is bad for the, for the gene pool. So I think the Neanderthals perhaps were already in trouble um, because of low population numbers and low genetic variation. Um, and maybe the arrival of Homo sapiens at least after 60,000 years was enough to destabilise them because Homo sapiens, of course, they're living the same lifestyle. They're both hunter-gatherers and foragers. So they're going to be wanting to hunt the same animals, collect the same plant resources, wanting to live in the best areas. So there could have been an economic competition. And I think it was probably that combined with the Neanderthals already, if you like, being in, in some trouble with their low population numbers, it wouldn't have taken too much to tip them over the edge. And, and that maybe is what happened. Rick. Chris, uh, again, this may be a Hollywood uh, perspective, but uh, were Homo sapiens more aggressive? They, I know they had tools than and uh, weapons, if we want to call them weapons, but were they more aggressive than the Neanderthal? Well, some people have argued that uh, we actually killed the Neanderthals off in some kind yes. of warfare, but I think there's there's actually very little evidence for that. Um uh, certainly, Homo sapiens had good technology, good weapons. I mentioned the, the bows and arrows, which we think were around 54,000 years ago uh, in southern France with, with the Homo sapiens population uh, at a site called uh, Grotte Mondran. Uh, there was a paper published in the last few weeks about these tiny little uh, projectile points, which look really very like uh, arrowheads. So that's an intriguing thing. So if, if Homo sapiens had bows and arrows, Surely you would think they would have, you know, been able to outcompete the Neanderthals. And what's interesting is you know, that occupation was very brief. Uh, there are a few sites in the Rhone Valley that show this industry, and then it disappears, and the Neanderthals come back. And why was that? Well, I think you know this brings us back to the situation of of low population numbers. And to begin with, even the Homo sapiens groups were low in number. So we can imagine a small group of Homo sapiens with their bows and arrows. Um, maybe migrating along the northern Mediterranean coast, going up the Rhone Valley, settling a region, and they're there for a short time successfully. But then, um, if you've got small groups, you know, you're very dependent on, particularly with bone arrow technology, you're dependent on a few skilled technicians that can make the bows. They've got to choose the right wood, carefully make these bows. They've got to then have a people that can make the twine, people who can make the arrow shafts, people who can make the tiny arrow points. That's all very skillful work. If you've got a group of only, let's say, 30 or 40 people, a pioneering group, if those skilled technicians have an accident or, as you say, there's a disease that hits them, they die, you've lost that knowledge. And unless you've got a group to reconnect with, to relearn it, that could be the end of you. Or imagine that there's one of these rapid climate changes and all the trees you're familiar with to make your bow and bows and arrows disappear. That, again, could be the end of the technology and maybe the end of the group. So these small groups were vulnerable, and to begin with, it was Homo sapiens as well that was vulnerable, which is why I think it took us so long 
It wasn't until after 45,000 years ago that Homo sapiens really adapts and stays and builds its numbers, and that's at the expense of the Neanderthals. And this interbreeding, interestingly, um, the evidence so far suggests that it's going one way. The, the Neanderthal DNA is coming into Homo sapiens groups, but the late Neanderthal genomes that we have for this period show no sign of Homo sapiens DNA going into their gene pools. So this might mean that females, and maybe males, were preferentially joining the Homo sapiens groups from the Neanderthal groups. And that, again, would have been bad news for the Neanderthals because if they're already low in numbers and they start to lose breeding individuals to this other species, that, again, will be damaging to them. So I think that also could be what, what contributed to the Neanderthals' problems. Ed. Yes. Um, Chris, can you tell us, um, ultimately, when the Neanderthals disappeared, um, as I understand it, agriculture, uh, farming itself is like ten to 12,000 years old. Does that play a factor in here where humans developed over time, developed um, agriculture, or is that kind of after the fact when the, when the Neanderthals disappeared? Yeah, that's a very much later phenomenon. So we're talking... 40,000 years ago for the disappearance of the Neanderthals. And at that time, we were still firmly in what's called the Paleolithic, the Old Stone Age. Um, and that period was well before agriculture. So as you say, it's got to be another at least 20,000 years before we start to see people settling down and beginning to uh, domesticate animals and to grow their own plant resources. So, yeah, that is nothing to do with the disappearance story for the Neanderthals. So that disappearance was something that happened between hunter-gatherer groups and long before agriculture or pastoralism really, really took off, which was only a development for Homo sapiens much later. All right. Um, so how would we sit there and say, what was it that, I mean, I know these they're hunters and gatherers, and um, the terrain is changing and definitely the climate is changing. Um, what were some of the factors back then that kind of brought the Homo sapiens to Europe? Yes, well, th this is interesting. We, again, we, we don't really know for sure. Um, and there are these two factors that could be at work. One is, one is push, where there's a climate change where a group is. And it's an unfavorable climate change, um, maybe a depletion of food resources, um, the area dries up, um, and so they move from there. They're pushed out to a new area. So that's one thing that could have happened, and that maybe started the movement of Homo sapiens out of Africa into Western Asia and then on into Europe. And the other thing that can happen is, is the pool factor. So there's a, a favorable change in environment somewhere else, um, and maybe animals migrate into that region because there's an improvement in the environment and being hunters and gatherers, the Homo sapiens would have followed them, those migrating herds, those dispersing herds. So again, that could have lured Homo sapiens out of Africa into Western Asia and then later on into Europe. So we're not sure which factors it was, but I think when we look at that situation in the Rhone Valley, for example, um, I suspect these populations had travelled along the northern Mediterranean coast from, from Western Asia um, under favourable conditions and they were then able to move up the Rhone Valley. The weather was quite good 
and then possibly within a short time it took a turn for the worse and and that was uh, bad news for the homo sapiens and after a short gap the neanderthals came back and reclaimed the area okay it is customary for us to give our guests the last word on the show so chris um, why do you think knowing about the settlement of Europe by early modern humans is relevant in today's world? Well, I think it shows us that uh, you know we are we're a species that um, only recently has come to dominate, if we can call it that, the planet. That for most of our history we were vulnerable to the environments, uh, to environmental change. Um, we you know, we're not much different to the other animals uh, and, and the other human species in our vulnerability. There was nothing inevitable about our success. And just as Neanderthals went physically extinct, we could have gone physically extinct. And I think that should really be a check for us in in perhaps sometimes our arrogance of thinking that we, uh, we deserve to be here, um, that the Earth is ours to exploit and do what we want with, and we're, we're kind of invulnerable because we're homo sapiens. Uh, we can cope with all these changes, but the fact is that we are vulnerable, um, and we're certainly vulnerable, I think, at the moment with facing the possibility of climate changes which... Uh, will be quicker and, and, and more severe than the ones that uh, probably affected the Neanderthals. Okay. Uh, Rick, why do you think, in a short, quick note, why it's relevant in today's world? I think Chris, uh, Chris uh, touched uh, my, my uh, sentiment that uh, uh, as science goes deeper and deeper into the human animal, uh, we find that we are not sitting on the throne next to God. We are lucky to to be here, and uh, I think Chris has pretty much pointed that out. Okay, Ed. No arguments here. Okay, I'd like to say that an Arsenal fan is sitting next to God in the heavens. I just what about Manchester United? <laughs> Don't forget that. Uh, when we come back, we'll wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes the 512th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zap Zaptel. My name is John Keeley. We would like to thank our noted guest, Dr. Chris Stringer, research leader in human origins at the British Natural History Museum, who talked with us about the topic, Why Did Modern Humans Take So Long to Settle in Europe? The history buffs for today's show were Ed Broders and Rick Sweet. This is ROI Relevant or Irrelevant on KALA. The views expressed on the show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University 
or K-A-L-A. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotsopulanala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night and go Gunners. <laughs>